0: Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piskor. We're looking at what I consider a classic comic of comics history, especially here in North America, Ed. Heavy Metal number 1. This is revolutionary stuff, am I right? That's
1: goddamn right, man. Uh, off the bat, man, we should give shout-outs to Alika Seki from, from Maui Comics. We took a little tour, went to uh, went to the islands, went to Oceania to uh do some comic book convention stuff man kicked it with Alika Seki of Maui Comics who brought us there for Maui Comic Con we're digging through his books there's a video online treasure hunting for obscure comics in 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 Hawaii come across these heavy metal ones man and just thought like yo this would be a good episode Alika's like well why don't you boys have some copies man so big shouts to Alika hooking us up with uh, heavy metal issue number one and you're right man like paradigm shifting comics for a certain generation uh, they knew Marvel Comics, they knew DC Comics, and then this just shows up has to be mind-blowing, man. We, we take that for granted in a world where the cartoon is already out and on Cinemax when we are kids, and you see heavy metal kind of everywhere, and you see the vestiges of heavy metal influence. when We're looking at, like, Sam Keith, who was influenced by, like, Arthur Sodom, who would show up in the pages of uh, early 1980s heavy metals, man. So... Super thrilled to get a little of this on the
0: probably the first Mobius for most of uh, American readers, yeah, you know, absolutely. like like talking about revolution. so we're gonna get into that as we go through this issue, um but super excited to to dive into again what I consider one of the short list of just highly influential comics uh, from history so Let's dig in, and we'll try to cover some of that history as we as we go along. Probably should have
1: showed off that Drouet. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Cover on the back rather than just stunt with our fir- our front covers, man.
0: Yeah, and we should say uh, Nicolay uh, front cover artist. That's not an artist I'm familiar with, but Droulet, of course, um, has a long legacy in fantasy and sci-fi art uh, from Europe, and uh, we'll see some of his work in here as well. But. Um, Pretty good cover just to start with. A couple of robots fighting to the to a violent death, leaking fluids, you know, springs popping out, wires everywhere. Really uh, pretty pretty attention grabbing, I think.
1: Yeah, and and I mean to fit the heavy metal vibe, one of them does have titties. <laughs> yes. And uh, it is almost like scissoring. So it's that sex and sci-fi tandem that heavy metal to to my mind is is synonymous for.
0: It's an amazing design from like her sharp teeth to the uh, stilettos as part of the robot, the robot f- feet there. It's, be- it's before the Terminator, man. <laughs> it's, it's wild stuff. And from the people who bring you the National Lampoon. So what that means for anybody watching at home is this starts out in Europe as a magazine called Meadow Orland. And uh, it's basically, I guess, the National Lampoon people recognize like this this could have an audience here. Yeah,
1: the, uh, from I think Steve Bissett, in our shoot interview with him, Mentioned that you could get Mattel or uh From places like blood but plant so people were getting those comics through the direct market here in the states But wouldn't it be nice to read that stuff, you know when you see something so beautiful uh does the art and the 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 writing match up uh, super um, super interesting that that it's a national lampoon people it feels it feels smart you know like national lampoon was probably never more popular than it was right at this moment uh and they incorporated lots of comics you could tell that these harvard boys were were, were nerds and there, a lot of the same people will be you know bouncing around back and forth like later on like drew friedman would do they'll shoehorn him into here by drawing uh, you know like uh, the day the Earth stood still robot in a comic strip or something, but uh, there would be that back and forth that would happen
0: makes total sense, and you know the nice thing with National Lampoon being involved is this is a company or a publisher that understands distribution at the time, which is vital i yeah. mean we 've talked to so many people involved in publishing who have kind of like blamed distribution as a reason this or that company folds uh, so if you have a proven company and somebody that 's navigated those waters that's very, very helpful. You know, heavy metal might not have much of a footprint if it's done as a startup or, or done without the benefit of, of somebody that's kind of navigated those waters. In
1: this editorial piece up <clears> front, <throat> uh, it mentions Jule, uh Mobius, and Farkas as being uh, associated humanoids. And I thought that that was interesting because like I associate humanoids with publishing those guys. Didn't know that they were the spearheads. And I'm not sure that any one of those people I mean Mobius ha- has passed away i don 't know about the other guys i don 't know that they're even evolved in it anymore. no,
0: I think they sold it in the eighties to somebody um, to a twenty three year old Swiss guy, <laughs> so uh yeah man, he was making a good deal because obviously humanoid's um, you know still on our publishing landscape here in America. Uh, I think it's fun metal or law, it means screaming metal yeah's that's, that's a badass title, and as you say, you know like three of those names, those are artists you know and, and they grow out of like uh, Pilate? Pilate? Pilate the uh, French magazine these guys kinda grow out of that magazine start their own and Farkas as far as I could see is kinda the financial guy I involved see. in it and the other three uh, more on the creative end but again love it whenever artists kinda take control and start a platform that they want to exist and have some control over and uh, that's kinda part of the great story here for me
1: I'll, I'll say I'll say this uh, streaming metal might could have maybe have been a better title because I ignored this magazine in the Seven Elevens, because I wasn't like an Ozzy Osbourne fan. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if the term heavy metal was 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 in in the air that much in what 1977. One other thing that I just uh, am sort of curious about, and I I don't think that it that it is, but this Charles Schneider. I I see that name and this is a comic and there's this Charles Schneider gallery a guy who represented Dan Clowes, and and, st- and and was involved in in uh those those manga reprints that like of like Hideshi Hino and yeah. and uh huh. uh who's the other dude with the um Mr. Arashi freak show Oh yeah that's uh Blast Books Yeah 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 uh, and you know he's like I don't know that that's the same guy, but but it's a heck of a coincidence just because this is a comic, uh, but I think it would be pretty early. I don't know that Charles Schneider guy, but if he's a peer of Dan Klaus, you know, he's not a high schooler in charge of uh, the VP of finance of, you know, this publishing empire.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I always look at those names as well and try to figure out who they, what they go on to do, and sometimes you'll see them popping up. That Charles Schneider's kind of a... I don't know. I haven't seen that name elsewhere. It's hard to imagine there's two of them running around comics, but uh, it's possible. So diving in, the very first story here is Den by by the great Richard Corbin, the late Richard Corbin, and uh, kind of a smart, you know, in hindsight, I feel like this is a great story to lead off your heavy metal uh, launch with. You know, some of these artists in here, I think, are better known than others. Some have longer careers than others. No regrets on putting Richard Corbin front and center.
1: I guess his trajectory is the undergrounds, comics like Skull, Phantagore, like his own imprints and stuff. And then he does the Warren books, you know, creepy, eerie, the occasional Rook or 1984 or whatever. Uh, so so he's known, you know, within, within the underground space and things like that. But, But I don't know that he's really known for things of a science fiction bend. And I say that because we're going to see an ad a little bit later with a bunch of names on it and his name's on that list and it's fantasy oriented stuff, sci-fi oriented stuff. And I wonder, I wonder if there's a missing link between creepy eerie and then his heavy metal tenure. I wonder if the guys at the lampoon are just fans of Richard Corbin and are like, you know what, man, you look good on that slick paper. Uh This paper is the reason why I love that uh that dark horse reprint of the Corbin stuff because it 's on that kind of clay thickish glossy paper, and he looks good on 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 this kind of surface with this kind of color
0: yeah, I wonder if he was published in the original metal war lawns yeah because yeah, he certainly question. has such a strong presence in Europe, so it wouldn't surprise me like i don 't know where. Europeans were getting his art in the seventies, but it's, it's possible that he has those ties that precede heavy metal. Just, just think about this stuff, man. He's, he's able to like do
1: his wood shedding and stuff on those cheap Warren mags. So now it's like, this is, this is the big time, man. It's like, he knows it because it feels like he's putting his all into it. Uh, but when I do see this shit, man, I do think of our David Cho conversation where he's like, Richard Corbin's art is horny to me. It's the best description. And then when you see this, it's like, I get it.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. This is just beautiful. Yeah. By the way, like you know, it's so simple. There's no holding line. There's a little bit of off registration on your sun to give it a dark edge. Almost looks like an eclipse. The way the the printing's not perfectly aligned there. Um, but it's then. This is one of his big stories, and uh, you know. Part of the reason it's probably one of his big stories is for its placement in a high-profile magazine like Heavy Metal. For
1: sure, man. Uh, voiced by uh, John Candy in the Heavy Metal cartoon movie. That cartoon movie blew my mind, man. Yeah, I think
0: a lot of people. I, uh, that, that was a that was a big breakthrough. It was
1: it was like the first animated titties first off that that I ever saw, <laughs> and like three different colors of merkin between uh, uh, the 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 legs of the the ladies in in that flick, man. But. Uh, Swear words, you know, you hear John Candy talk about his dork uh, looking (laughs) down because it's a little nerd boy who uh, gets a hold of that MacGuffin green orb that is the through line through all those stories. Uh, All of these comics, like first off, this this heavy metal magazine reads like any heavy metal magazine. That's true. Uh, It's visually off the charts, but your personal investment in any one story is almost zero with the exception of like Mobius and like Mobius really figured something out because, and, and to me, uh, Corbin is like the strong number two in, in uh, heavy metal in general. And in this issue in particular, uh, probably aided by, um, the lack of need to translate his stuff. And, and he could just put the words he wants in there, but, um, it's an anthology so you never have that much opportunity to like invest in the characters and then when you go to another the next story you gotta just switch your whole mindset and there's a whole new rule set you have to learn and it, it it's kinda exhausting in a way as a reading experience but but, you know this is a magazine but like you don't read every page of Esquire you right. know you don't read every page of uh, Maxim yeah and you and you wouldn't
0: read them all in one sitting yeah. either uh, and to be fair, I actually read this over a couple of nights, so I didn't read it all in one sitting, but uh, I, I know what you mean. I think of it as like it's almost a different era of reading experience, too, yeah. you know, like like to, to read something sustained like this that is an anthology just doesn't exist today. That's Not true. really. So um, true. I think this is interesting just the way he's like stacking these panels and breaking them up shades of Mike Mignola or Chris Ware. Acme Novelty, you know, having these panels of just snapshots almost of, the, of different moments around there. And it's cool to see that within the context of a story that's following a more traditional comic approach, you know, in terms of panel to panel.
1: It is, yeah. And, and it actually makes me value uh, Jan Strnad's contribution to Richard Corbin comics a lot too, because he's got a lot of show and tell that's like unnecessary. And I think Jan would have been a little bit more hip too, to, uh, add, you know, just adding a little bit more.
0: Man, but as you say, the visuals are just spectacular in this story. And, On every and, page. You know, 77 uh, holds up pretty good for a 45-year-old 45, 45 uh, printing of this story, which I think is actually from a couple of years before this even. Um, I think it's copyright like 73 or 74. So I wonder what it would have showed up. Um, Met Lot maybe, yeah. somewhere in Europe, uh, Pilot magazine. I'm not sure, but uh, I think the copyright in the beginning is a little bit earlier. So... An amazing, amazing uh, story. In that, it just looks as good now as it did 45 years ago. And every time I encounter some Corbin, especially like vintage Corbin, like he goes up my ladder of all-time great cartoonists. I, I and agree. He's real far up at this point because nobody's like him. It's one of the qualities that I love about a Jack Kirby or something. Where like, for all the imitators, like nobody, it comes close. It's 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 really pure comic making. You know, like he's.
1: He's still telling the story he wants to tell, even though the characters in in the distance have, you know, maybe too big a head or (laughs) or shit like that. You know, it's just it's clearly his own vision, Uh, you know, panel to panel. You never know what you're going to get with that guy. Like, you know, he uses photo reference on one panel and then just like doesn't on the other. And it's done way quicker with weirder lighting. But as a whole, you can't do much better,
0: man. Yeah, exactly. Think of world building, and it's like, this is a guy who is an architect of worlds. Yeah. Uh, We interrupt this video to pay some bills. Ed Piscor's Red Room. Do you like graphic violence? Outlaw artwork? How do you feel about murder on the dark web for fun and profit? There are now several ways to pick up Ed Piscor's Red Room, starting with The Antisocial Network, a graphic novel available wherever books are sold that collects the first four issues of Red Room in this handsome volume, along with some great back matter like a first draft, Uh, In drawing form, no less. Very awesome. Notes from the creator, like a uh, director's commentary. There's also new monthly Red Room comics starting up coming March 9th. Trigger warnings. The next series of Red Room comics, all self-contained, by the way, so like series of short stories, starting March 9th. This will be the cover to look for in your local comic shop. By the way, due to ransomware attacks on the distributor, this may be the lowest print run of any Red Room title. So pick this up as soon as you see it. These are the variants. Peach Momoko returns to do a Red Room variant for trigger warnings. This is my variant uh, based on the Robert Crumb Zap comics. And this is Ed's variant more along the lines of a uh, traditional book cover design. Again, those will be in comic shops March 9th. Pick those up as soon as you see them. If you can't wait until March 9th, you can follow Red Room on Ed's Patreon and read them early as he's finishing them. Posts new pages every Tuesday, and they are currently in the middle of trigger warnings on the Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Piscor. Links that you can find below this video. Pick up Red Room anywhere you buy comics. The perfect gift for yourself or the horror fan in your life. My next project, Hulk Grand Design, will be hitting stores March 16th. This is a retelling, a definitive retelling of the Hulk's history, covering the first 40 years of Hulk comics, 10,000 pages roughly distilled into two oversized issues, and uh, just in time to celebrate the Hulk's 60th anniversary. This is the perfect book for anybody who's into comic art. The Hulk, longtime fans, first-time readers, this is the perfect place to kind of renew your Hulk love if you've been a reader that's fallen off the wagon, and uh, I need your help with this. I'm asking everybody who's watching kayfabe to tell their local comic shops to pre-order Hulk Grand Design Monster for March 16th. That's 316. It'll be in stores everywhere, but you need to order that now if you want your store to stock up on Hulk Grand Design. You know what I was
1: thinking, Jimmy? Uh, We've kayfabe affected so much stuff out in the comic
0: book universe let us kayfabe affect ourselves a little bit 100 percent, ed that's exactly what i'm calling on all the kayfabers out there and we've got some great variants for hulk grand design monster peach momoko once again like a friend of cartoonist kayfabe apparently doing these variant covers marcos martin doing a cool hulk transformation and of course cartoonist kayfabe's own Ed Piscor paying homage to Todd McFarlane, as well as Herb Trimpey's original Wolverine appearance with the whiskers. Such a cool comic, like I've said before, makes me a little bit jealous that you came up with this concept, Ed. I love it, and for everybody watching, these variant covers are not retailer incentives. If you see one of these covers and that's the one you want, all the more reason to pre-order. Tell your local comic shop you want the Ed Piscor variant, and uh, it'll be waiting on you March 16th. And now back to our regular scheduled videos. So our next story then is Ruck by Drew Um Drew a guy who we haven't looked at outside of the context of Heavy Metal, I don't think yet on this channel. But I'm sure we'll get lots of comments about him. Um, quite a following as a sci-fi artist. Uh, I feel a, like
1: I feel like he'd be like the number two guy that's mentioned after Mobius. Often. Yeah, I was going to say
0: a peer of Mobius, and um, you know the the devout fans will tell you nonstop about how great. Droulet is, and you know, you see it. Like this is another virtuoso artist. Um, you can almost see the creative pushing to get a magazine where he can do what he wants to do, and and where he can kind of spotlight his sci-fi interests and that sci-fi art. And you see, in this case, a giant alien uh, life form, basically humping this spaceship. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I I seen documentaries about that. That's about a
1: guy who fell in love with uh, Airwolf, the uh, the helicopter. I think there was it. <laughs> he a... bought one.
0: Yeah, there there've been some uh, some movies where where uh, cars would be the stand-in for the spaceship in this, and I guess humans for the aliens.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in in, bro- in broader terms, there's uh, the the documentary something about. So I married the Eiffel Tower, or so I married the Golden Gate Bridge. I forget I forget the title, but the person who who married the Eiffel Tower then married the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's like one famous story within that documentary, I believe, where there's a gold, uh, an American gold medalist, archer woman, who who was in love with her, her bow and arrow when she got the gold, she may even be the one who married the golden gate bridge in Eiffel tower. And when her affections turned toward these other objects, it's just like weird paraphilia that like 10 people in the world have, uh, she wasn't a gold medalist anymore after her interests turned elsewhere away from her bow and arrow, so maybe she becomes a great architect. It could be, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Golden Gate Bridge is a dicey mistress, man, it has a lot of, has a lot of... Some bad karma that could be
0: coming off of that thing. Yeah, listen, maybe it's goth, you know. A little bit of a movie star, the Golden Gate Bridge. I
1: feel like it's uh, made plenty of cameos in a variety of movies. Rest in peace, Bob Saget.
0: <laughs> wow. Right? <laughs> So, uh, there's our Droulet coverage. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, um,
1: here's, here's what I'll say about these guys, though. Um, it's one of those great instances in comics that, that that we can point to many versions of the EC offices come to mind, where you have these virtuoso artists, mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron, they're trying to impress one another. You don't want to be the turd with Droulet and Mobius. And there's other guys whose names we don't know who perhaps might be... That's true, that uh... tells you a lot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, This is a funny story too, obviously, which is kind of uh, enjoyable as you're reading through this and thinking about maybe contemporary science fiction that we see. Like, this is when you could still have fun, and these top artists are doing that. Uh, You know, some gag cartooning in here, obviously. Uh, a little bit of humor is clear so. It does it end
1: with a little buggery? Is that what we're doing? Like it's like one of these little specimens is like going up the ditch? Oh yeah, that's
0: exactly what he fired off. These are, you know, this this is your sperm is coming into the ship and that's what he's fighting back.
1: Yeah and then the end is that it like bloop, it goes in the in the in the butthole,
0: right? Yeah, uh oh. <laughs> This is one of your bigger stories in this first issue. You know what? Last thing about Drew Lay that, well, we're going to see him again, yeah. but uh, last thing I'll say about that first story is Lone Sloan, his big kind of uh, you know, epic that, that we that we can track down, it has been reprinted steadily for 40 years, actually precedes Meadow Orlant, um, but that would be the big piece if you wanted to start on Drew Lay, if you wanted to look for more of his work, that'd be the place to go, Lone Sloan. I, I didn't even know that. I have some, and I don't know if it came from... Faber sending it in the mail or if it's something I picked up somewhere but like it's beautiful oversized color volumes like it is spectacular art I can see why uh, you fall in love with them Wally Woodish very lettering right there definitely even a uh, little bit of Wally Woodish kind of lighting in some of some of this stuff
1: you know it, like this this art is so immersive like that's the other thing with each of these stories is these cartoonists are creating their whole world you know like so nothing looks like any other story in a lot of ways and the rigor of this one it must have been drawn insanely huge because of just the amount of craft and detail that's piled into very very small you know millimeters of of space but uh... looking through this story the artist i was thinking of like luther arkwright um... brian talbot artwork comes to mind heavy on that black which is which is really cool
0: yeah i would have eaten this stuff up when i was just doing black and white art you know you'd find stuff like this and just i mean i would have studied this minutely it's incredible for black and white art and the amount of detail the uh, the creators here jean-pierre Dionnet, I'm, I'm sure i'm pronouncing that poorly but it's one of the three artists mm-hmm. who were into metal orlant i think he's writing and then jean-claude gaul is your artist on this and the story in this particular, I think this is part of a much longer story, but this particular piece, this invading army, takes over the city, the city puts up no fight, but slowly the sentries and the army men are disappearing, and it's basically the city just absorbing them, consuming them, um, taking them away, and, and so by the time like the uh, the leader shows up in the spring, it's a very different army that he comes to find, basically just a couple of survivors.
1: The Bones
0: of so much of this stuff
1: has to have a place in like, I don't know, from National Geographic magazine or something like you, you trace off some photos of some like Aztec relics or something. And then you just start to add weird filigree and stuff like that, because like I'm trying to reverse engineer this, this material, it's, it's just too rooted in physics or something like it's too, it's too legit
0: yeah it's stunning like these levels of architecture just beautiful the stairs and as they're come down and you know you're reading your comic panels down through those levels it's beautiful comics making
1: they' I mean they're trying to blow each other's minds they are
0: I mean look at this page spectacular unbelievable um, again imagine picking this up in 1977 when what are you looking at what's Marvel and DC publishing that y- you could even compare to something like this uh, yeah yeah it's I mean it's totally impossible and DNA goes on to work with Alejandro Jodorowsky um, so you know I think, I think Jodorowsky maybe picked quite a few of these guys <laughs> like I think he was a fan of this from from very good sources uh, people
1: told me that um, Jodorowsky finds you what his move is uh, how about you, you draw this like I have this like five pager in mind and then fast forward three years and you just put together like four-trade paperbacks worth of material with the guy. Like, when he gets his hooks in you, you're going to be with him for a while.
0: Yeah, I I believe that. I'm reading uh, Bouncer right now, a a story that he wrote, and you can almost see how you get engrossed into it. You know, it's just so much happens in it. I, I can see, you know, again, world building coming out of Jodorowsky is just the written word, and it's pretty interesting. We, I often talk about Mobius as being so great at like um, these different perspectives and space, and this panel really stands out to me with these little figures and the scale of like the temple and the city that they're surrounding. So,
1: so you figure out how to draw to start, right? Like like Peter Chung said in our shoot interview. Uh, you get to the point where a hand looks like a hand and that's the point where you can then start to get to be interesting So so you can draw a human figure, but it's such a different set of tools to like now create these like these um, architectures and these suits of armor and things that just feel like they've always existed to feel like authentic well-lit there's something going on here that is beyond our understanding you know like some element of reference like this stuff is not
0: coming just from their from thin air there's so many levels in this too because like the layouts are really inventive yeah but then like the level of detail is kind of equally rigorous where it's like man it would take you a while just to figure out the layout here and then it would take you a while to actually execute the illustration finished artwork on these pages it's it's very rigorous and uh, like you say I think it is a bunch of guys trying to uh, outdo each other and uh, that can be a positive thing. You get Arzak
1: coming in and it's like you can't you can't not be the badass. Fun to see the ads that
0: that float through here too.
1: This is that one I'm talking about, man. Ray Bradbury, Richard Corbin, Harlan Ellison. So so Corbin Corbin's included, you know, in 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 the conversation with this like weird book of fantasy stuff and a big part of like that fantasy really is Tolkien Um, definitely so Tolkien's name is mentioned there and then when you have Tolkien then you get uh, those Hildebrandt brothers did a lot of uh, visuals for uh, Tolkien related merchandise and things.
0: Alright our next uh, comic story, The Adventures of Eris Pyrus? sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. And this is Droulet and, a, and an artist that would go under the pseudonym Alexis. And this time, Droulet is writing, so Alexis is your artist here.
1: Little knife,
0: beautiful. With, with
1: that uh, rock texture.
0: I always love when you see like this amount of ink in a panel, but then also one line can represent your horizon. It can be this very open, clean kind of drawing.
1: Great trick, you know. And uh, this is a this is a story. A thief comes to town pillages a little bit yeah. pickpocketing through the crowd yeah
0: and they're selling uh they're selling these this guy's auctioning off these women and uh thinks this young thief after stealing all that gold maybe he could afford these women and of course that sinks all the uh guards on him and now they're all being hauled off to go to the uh this is a cannibal society so they're going off to be dinner for the king it's a pretty nice uh face drawing there. And I think like, you know, with the naked girls, like that's a big part of the fantasy, right? Is that human figure and specifically the the female figure. Yeah. So he decides, he wants to know a little bit more about this lizard king that nobody ever sees except at night and jumps out of the, the prison cart and sneaks around to get into this guy's palace. And uh, I don't know what we're looking at here, but some kind of grotesquerie is these non-human characters are are uh, making babies. Man. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: And 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 you know, no no respect for their vulnerability of the moment,
0: dispatches them, cuts their heads off, cooks that shit. And it's to be continued. And I'm kind of curious what the next chapter in this story is. This is one of the the stories that, that hooks me more than uh, more than some of the other serials in that. That's a fun setup. I am able to follow it. And now what is he impersonating this king? Are they going to come after him? And what's the deal with like a lizard? monarch here
1: you know we've we've read several of these things and and very few of them really have connected with me i mean it's really the mobius that that's everything to me and it makes me really understand what george lucas did with star wars you know and we are like with a bunch of the guests that we've had on the show over the summer and winter and stuff uh a lot of visually based comics which feels like that should be a redundant term but it's just not in no. our modern day uh co- you know comics culture uh stories that lean heavy on the artist's contribution to to the the narrative and everything uh and my mind has been in that headspace but with like this comic where everybody is visually really gorgeous you realize that maybe maybe frank quitely does benefit from having grant morrison uh do do some of the heavy lifting when it comes to communicating the story because for all the intense rigor of these droolés and and whatever this latest artist is, it doesn't it's not enough for me you know like like you gotta you gotta arrest me, bring me into your world and somehow keep me there and we're on the Arzak story now and Mobius is able to do just that and it's it's very smart too because of the silent nature, the wordless nature of this, um, it, it's not heavy-handed. It, like by not having words, you gotta communicate the story visually, and it's not heavy-handed like some of those other stories where we've we've uh, criticized. Uh, was it some, some weird Neil Gaiman stories or something? Or no, no, it was like Micronauts where it's like, <laughs> hey, you're a Thetan level six and I just can't stand that. <laughs> yes. and, and it's like, I don't care about all your jargon. Like, you, it, that doesn't matter, man. Tell me about a farm boy who wants to be part of a rebellion Absolutely. against authority, you know? Like, I, can, I, underst- I get that, but you don't gotta mix it up with uh, two 1B medic droids and junk like this.
0: Yes, and uh, hey man, let's, let's dive into this Mobius a bit. First thing that I see, I talk about is depth, five minutes ago talking about his ability to create depth. You see it here with no perspective lines, right? right. There's no grid here, and yet clearly Arzak is, is, pops out, is the nearest object here. And uh, this is Color Theory 101. We've got a dark blue background, orange in our middle ground and a light blue background in front of that orange to really pop it off the page. But man, it's it's good in line art and color right from the get go. And to be able to do that with these kind of like fantastic shapes, to me is impressive because a lot of that stuff, you talk about something that can be done poorly. When you see the line
1: work looks um, off register at times, it makes me wonder if he's coloring on the boards. You know, like if you see this thing and and it's it's like a fully painted thing.
0: Yeah, it makes me curious. If this is original art, like if that is all on one piece, man, I'd love to see what that looks like uh in person.
1: I was at Ungolem and got to see a couple pieces of, of Mobius art and and it's it's uh as enrapturing as, as you can imagine, you know. Doesn't draw like I can't speak to this, I never saw this, but a lot of his stuff, the airtight garage stuff. Doesn't draw much, but he doesn't draw eleven by seventeen for it to be shrunk down. It's smaller. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's so mind blowing. Like I remember getting maybe a Marvel reprint or something of Mobius whenever I was very new to comics and trying to sort things out, and it just doesn't make sense. You know, like like the way he draws, it's just different than everybody else.
1: We see. I mean, we see two major pieces of like the Ninja Turtles guys in this issue so far. Like, and, and we'll see the Triple Threat when we get to Von Baudet. Day. But it's like Richard Corbin, Mobius, Von Baudet, like go into that stew, and that's an influence that that so many dudes were up on. You know, like when you see this kind of face and things. Do you think Jim Woodring is was into this stuff?
0: Looks like it. Now that you say it, right? Like just some of the parallel lines and the way like he creates like a like a building like that. Man, I see some some similarities there. Yeah, this is such a cool page layout too. I think. I mean, as a directional device, as we're coming down from that top tier, and you get Arzak in the middle, like it just, it's just—it's—it's sort of perfect.
1: And there's just like
0: it's just like little drawing
1: things. Like you got the lasso, but don't let—you know—you got to bring that beak down beyond the lasso, yeah. and
0: just—just just those little touches are very considerate. And the lasso behind the guy—it's—it's it's really well done. There's no uh, there's no confusion over what's happening in this wordless comic. Very easy to follow, and great life you know, almost every chance that that he gets, including the idea of like the physics, right? It's being drugged behind. Where it's not straight below. It's you can see that like, oh, they're moving at a quick pace. And I love this this dinosaur monster skeleton, whatever this thing is.
1: It's ridiculous because it feels real. Like like he
0: was doing a still life of a fucking pterodactyl or something. When you read about perspective, they talk about, you know, there's all these different ways to show perspective, and one is overlapping objects. It's like, this is perspective 101 right here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great frame.
0: He's just an exceptional artist. This is also a fun story that feels heavy metal to me, because, like, one, there's a bunch of fantasy elements, but the other part is, he flew by a window of a naked woman, so we're going to go back and check that out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's the motivation of our character here. And... Kind of like that Drew Lay story earlier, she turns around and the EC-like reveal, the O. Henry ending, not the woman he was hoping to pick up. And then he's just like, later for you, baby. Yes. You just catfished me with
1: them titties in the window, man. <laughs> you catfished me. I'm out of here.
0: Yeah, wow. Again, mind-blowing, right? 1977, you picked this thing up with your new comics that week. <laughs> do you just stop buying the old comics? Like that's a thing. How can right? you go back after this? I
1: know, man. Like like it's gonna it's gonna influence you. And I do like to think that this uh guy hanging right there is doing that like crazy sign yeah on the head. Like, yeah man, this story was bonkers, wasn't it? This story <laughs> was cuckoo.
0: Very fun. And just Mobius drawing, you know. Maybe how how many people was this the first time they saw Mobius artwork? You know, know. nineteen seventy seven this story shows up and they're like Who's this guy? A little kid went to go get his slushy man while he's while he's
1: uh, you know got his Powell Peralta freaking or no, his like Z-boy skateboard. And uh sees this.
0: Hard to go back after
1: that. Yeah, you gotta start painting some stuff on the hood of your van now.
0: Uh this next story, Selenia by Mari and Sergio M- Macedo is the artist. Um, not familiar with either of them, but I like this art, and I see a lot of airbrush in this art, which is kind of an attractive, uh, certain puts a certain time stamp on the art, I think. Very 70s. But looks so cool, and even the figures are just a little bit, I don't know, uh, eccentric, you know, a little bit stylized in a way that I think fits the sci-fi, fits these backgrounds, and uh, fits the airbrush art perfectly. Yeah, it's very uncanny
1: valley. Yeah. With those this, like, big weird eyes, uh, I can't help but
0: think of Staranko,
1: like the like the Nick Fury cover and stuff with that wonky looking figure, the kind of perspective background.
0: You say that and it's as soon as you say it that, that looks apparent. Turn that
1: page, baby. <laughs> when you see this right here, that page right there, I'm thinking about some of the most experimental Rick Veach comics that would be done in heavy metal and epic illustrated and these small little bits. Uh, the Kubert school is in session. So like, these are the kids who are receiving this, this stimuli, you know, and, and Rick Veach did comics with like two giant transformers like this in a perspective like that, like this page must have been mind blowing to him. It's
0: incredible. What a spread, Uh, you know, echoes of Jack Kirby in some ways the Kirby tech, but yeah, that perspective and applying that kind of polished illustration on top of it. This is bonkers man this could have been your favorite page in this magazine yeah and it probably was for rick beach <laughs> <laughs> i love the spaceship designs just all of it works for me it's so kind of smooth and polished and again throwing some tna it's kind of uh, part and parcel of the heavy metal brand from the get-go
1: yeah yeah listen man the french It's how they roll dude Have a have a little sex in your gimmick
0: Hey, I think it, it certainly helped. It probably added a couple of extra eyeballs and fans to the heavy metal, uh, you know, what heavy metal becomes. It's just such a cool-looking story. I like the black-and-white, too. You know, you mentioned Drew Friedman a little bit ago. In some ways, it reminds me of Friedman, you know? It's like so... The, the pointillism, the black-and-white part, all the gradients that, that they're achieving through the grayscale, just cool-looking.
1: Yeah, there's that uh, That that Russian-style-of-art uh it's got that real harsh name to it is it it's not uh constructionist or something yeah like there's that? constructionist is... is is this is this constructionist
0: no i think this is a little more like i see like art deco you know like almost like 1930s metro i think a metropolis movie poster or something like that for some of it but then yeah. like this I don't know what this is. To me, that's the one, if I just saw that, I might say Drew Friedman. No, yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, I I don't know. It's a lot of different stuff. And then when you see, like, these electricity bolts or something coming off, and they're completely stylized, I don't know. I think he's pulling from a lot of stuff, but I like all of it, and I think it matches up very well and still vigorous, you know, or still rigorous, you know, with this level of, like, now we've got several half a dozen of these chairs and – there are like symbols mixed in with their faux electronics and, co- and Kirby tech wallpapers. Yeah, man. It's a good one, man. For In terms of your eyeballs having a good time, there it is. Sort of Shenera is an excerpt from uh, a, a book, uh, an author, who would go on and do several of these. Hildebrandt yeah. making an appearance in heavy metal, and that seems totally appropriate. Heavy metal would do text pieces, you know, like, so, again kind of consistent from the get-go. They might be interviews, they might be editorials or news items, but uh, they would have some text pieces scattered throughout Heavy Metal Issues, so I guess this is their start of putting some of that in, and could have been for mailing purposes, right? Didn't they used to have to sneak in a couple pages of text to... uh, Right, to get the the bulk mail rates for for
1: magazines and stuff. Uh, I mean, you just look at that image and it's just such Tolkien cosplay, but then you start to think about the rise of Dungeons and Dragons also because these are all the the archetypes. You have totally. the archers, elves, mages, a little dwarf, you know, he looks like he could spring a trap. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awful if you were playing this game and that was the character you were playing? Oh yeah, man, your Frodo Baggins with a little <laughs> dagger. It's like, nah, dude, let me be a tank. <laughs>
0: These heavy metal t-shirts, I would love to see what those things look like. It's got to be like an iron-on kind
1: of of print. Cover for issue two. That was the one that I bought. Whenever I was uh, experimenting with with heavy metals as a kid, they would never appreciate or depreciate in value because they would have like the back page where you could just buy old issues. So this issue one was $15.00. And every other issue was five dollars, man. So like fifteen dollars was too expensive for me when I could buy three issues exactly. for the price of that one, man. That's Taranko math. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, issue two was was the oldest uh, issue I had before getting hooked up by Alika. And then and then by the way, uh, because this is the National Lampoon guys. Um, in National Lampoon, when they would do their T-shirts, it would be fumettis with um naked chicks <laughs> and like oh I need a
0: t-shirt. <laughs> yeah man, we crediting, crediting the French with these naked women. It could be a little national lampoon knowing <laughs> what, uh, what sells. <laughs> Sex sells, man. Alright uh, Tromwalk, traum- no idea if that's the uh, the right pronunciation there. And your creators, uh, artist Philippe Michel, um, someone I'm not familiar with, Al Voss inking and Pauline Pearson is your writer. Uh, I love how this story looks. This is another one of these like kind of mashup styles where you're seeing hatching, uh, straight edges, pointillism and kind of almost like a clip art style to the way these uh, these characters are depicted. Feels like it bridges a gap between the
1: undergrounds and heavy metal basically. Like this is this is a through line kind of comic because this art style it feels like it would be like an also ran of the undergrounds where, you know, Crumb can only fill so many pages and, right. and, and Spain Rodriguez can only fill so many pages. So you get this revolving door of other like competent creators. And like, that's what this is. It's like, you don't want to shoot your load too much and put too much Mobius or Droulet into your comics. So you got to get some of that other stuff in there. Uh, and And you know, that's the space that this occupies can't feel more seventies than a lot of this like stipple, I think that's part of what I like
0: too. all of it's just totally seventies An angel falls from the heavens, and our character who was fleeing some battle or another into this like forbidden land uh, and his pursuers stop chasing him gets entangled with these angels and some local uh you know bad guy and that's that's the premise of our story and inexplicably there are motorcycles and volcanoes
1: I mean like does guy feel Pravda? Own the monopoly of chicks on motorcycles forevermore.
0: <laughs> Does in my in my workspace. <laughs> Look at that. Your subscription for the first uh... That's sick, man.
1: I I mean they hit the ball the ground running. Look at that. I think it's a three year subscription that you could you could have bought. Which you would never do now, like as a as a consumer, you'd be like, "Fuck that!" Yeah, you, you guys are ambitious. <laughs> you guys are like, it would feel like a pyramid scheme where you're trying to get money to just float your next issue, one issue. It's such a bizarre story too. Like, there's a stage play component. Yeah, it's like it's it's a it's just a stage play. But yeah. then it's got special effects to it, man. <laughs> Dude, I went to like the Jersey Shore when I was a kid, man, and, and there was this uh. Castle Dracula that you could go through. I went through it two times. Uh and I could never figure out how they did this, man. Like they take you to this one room, they put a kid in there who works for the joint. And uh the, the um hangsman or like you know the executioner's like, alright, on the count of three, off with his head. One, two, three, off with his head. The person is in the guillotine screaming. Guillotine comes down and the head fucking rolls into a basket. <laughs> I still don't know how they did it. I went through two times to try to like figure out what the magic was. The sick thing was, it was two different actors too. So like- Well, I think you've answered how they do it, Ed. <laughs> so that that was just like the extra added freakiness to it, man.
0: Love the reveal too. Of course there's a robot at the heart of this. The simulation is real.
1: Very phallic right there. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> wow. But see, it's hermaphroditic because there's also a, a hole. There's an orifice and Phallus. Oh, I get it. Another Pravda perspective. (laughs) A little little Michelangelo reference. (laughs) It's it's all over the place. Would that
0: be in the swipe file in... uh... Comics Journal, man. (laughs) (laughs) Dragging heavy metal across the coals. Space Punks uh, by Jean-Claude Mazere. I'm so bad at these names. You're it's, the, the one h- the and
1: there's a reason.
0: Here, here's what we would know uh, this artist from is Valerian and Laurel Line Worked on the Fifth Element film so with you know Mobius. you can kind of see that like with that in mind you can almost see how this is a guy that, that goes into that world and that universe.
1: Yeah Valerian mentioned by, by Howard Chaikin in some of our shoot interviews as being a big Gil Kane favorite. Those old timers, they, they were hip, like, like the, the, the all-stars of 70s American comics, your Joe Kuberts, your Gil Canes. They were hip to Metel Orlon. You know, they were being taken to conventions in, in countries that actually cared about comics. And you could find those videos with Mobius drawing with Neil Adams and Joe Kubert together on the same giant whiteboard or yeah. piece of paper.
0: Yeah, um, this guy I find interesting because he has like a comedic flair to his, you know, like to his art but then also the sci-fi is all there. Like it's, it's amazing drawing, you know, some of these perspectives and backgrounds and many characters walking along, it's, it's good stuff. I enjoy looking at this guy's stuff and I assume he's coloring it himself which uh, I also think looks really strong. It's
1: very cool seeing like all these guys, like Julie has it a lot. Uh, Mobius is the guy who could slough it off the most, but there is a kind of a house style of French comics. Like all you have to do is go to Angoulême and go through enough albums where you see this kind of like flick of the of the Hunt 102 kind of thing. Just like this flicky curved line that, that I associate with like a house style of French comics and Jule has it, this guy has it, but seeing it employed in this fashion creates something new,
0: you know? It's amazing to see these kinds of very science fiction-like ships, but then with, like, almost a napalm backdrop. Yeah, man. Carpet bombing. Yeah. I also, this calls to mind some, like, rogue trooper or something from 2000 AD, and, you know, that dystopian setting. uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of imagery for, again, 1977, like, you know, That stuff I don't think was oversaturated at that point. Like, Pretty interesting story here for a short story in the middle of heavy metal. This 1996 um, by Chantal Montier, first female editorial cartoonist in France, at least that's how she's kind of credited online. There's a couple of one-pagers of this 1996 thing. I always find it entertaining whenever something's set 20 years in the future when this is made. Now we're looking
1: at it almost 20 years in the past. Think about that, that fucking futuristic comic 2000 A.D. <laughs> yes, exactly. Something tells me that they, they didn't think uh, that that magazine
0: would last very long. That all said, like, there's some disturbing stuff in here that is like, oh yeah, I guess we've always been on the precipice of, you know, social collapse
1: or something. Of, of, mental breakdown of our citizens. I could, I could imagine that piece being in Raw.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This continuation of that novel excerpt from, uh, from earlier, this is a nice looking piece. Um, I guess it's a collage, but it's a collage of like engraved images. Is that how you interpret that, that Ooh. art? I mean, it's credited as collage, but it, you know, like the old engraved engravers images. Yeah. I think that's what most of these lines and things are, um, pretty fun. You know, like I'm a fan of collage and don't see a ton of it in old comics. And so, this is probably one of the early examples.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you see you see a lot of like a lot of issues that I have like have
0: this a this thing happening. I love the subtitle of a gothic science fiction trip to the apocalypse, which <laughs> you know kind of makes sense for these images that are being uh, appropriated for the collage elements because they are older illustrations. And just this is weird. This is the trippiest story I think in here. Yeah gives a nice flavor though to what you might find in a heavy metal, like this definitely feels like it's pushing in a certain direction that's different than what we've seen, even though thematically it's still science fiction and fantasy elements and it's a real piece interesting of, graphics.
1: Yeah, it's a real piece of alchemy, man, because you think about 77, like how has xerography advanced at that point in time, like what did you need, was it still photo stats? And then, that's a good point. And then you're reduced, you You got to have your reduction wheel at the ready while you're trying to construct these different compositions. Like, it's, it's a very complicated
0: matter. I never even considered that. Like, this could literally be somebody cutting up like their morgue files to make these collages. Yeah,
1: it could be, because you could see fill-in artwork like around the edges of stuff. So, you know, you clip out your guide's not so clean, and now you got to try to match up the background. And
0: That's the secret of making this stuff, Ed. The, the little bit of kayfabe of like, yeah, fill in this spot that we don't have, but uh, I want these two elements together. you got to bridge it with your hand. That's a good point. I never even thought of that while, while going through it. The uh, The second of these 1996 strips, this time throwing a, an alien out of this uh, local diner. Your, your kind's not uh, not welcome here. Yeah, we've seen that in uh, Star Wars. And then Von Baudet, who we've looked at a little bit in uh, some of his comics that have been printed and collected over the years. But uh, what a presence there in Heavy Metal number 1 for Von Baudet. High profile, historically a high profile profile spot he's landed in here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you know, he was doing stuff for sure with uh with National Lampoon, so he's a known quantity there. But uh it feels so right, man, that the two kind of genre guys of the underground comics would show up here.
0: Yes. Richard Corbin and, and, and Von Bodie. Really smart for an issue one and setting a tone for that issue one to have those two guys included. And look at the first three pages, right? Like you get your, your title splash page, the cool lettering, the cool colors. And then the next page is like this blueprint schematic with mechanical lettering set in there and your character profiles. Like this is another pretty fun thing to flip through.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because like that, that, you know, sun, sunup, sunpot views thing, the blueprint, that's not a trivial thing to construct. Like now, now it is, you just go in Photoshop and you could do that. Uh, you gotta go to like photo bureaus. You, you gotta like inverse images and do a lot of complex graphic design to make to make that you know you got to do reasonably complex graphic design to set this up too you know this is this is hand uh pasted up dummied artwork you know with with the typeface and junk and this is markers
0: right like we're this is so. marker art early marker art for uh for publication i think
1: going through this uh this von bodhi stuff like we did cheech wizard before it really inspires, like when I go through these comics, I'm inspired to just to make comics without worrying about like perspective, like never tape down a page, you know, like never tape it down, just put your pencil to paper and just, just make stuff, you know, like fudge your perspectives because none of that's important and uh, be whimsical.
0: I think these pages, they remind me almost of, like, if we were in a movie and there's a comic that's appearing, this would be kind of what it would look like, you know? It's, it's so uh, unique to Baudet. Uh, and, and, you know, separate from, think of what we've looked at. You know, we're nearing the end of this issue. We've seen a bunch of science fiction comic art, and I feel like here's a fresh way to approach that. Book ended by the
1: Americans, which, which I think, I mean, it, I think it's a choice. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I wonder what the logic is to that.
0: Yeah, it's so wild. And and what you have in story is like this one crew of basically von Bonet characters in outer space dealing with being discovered or dealing with uh, other outer space explorers that are more traditional astronaut types. <clears throat> his,
1: his art is holistic. Like you, you need the color and stuff. Cause like when you see that, uh, you know it's pretty spare and uh, like would look unfinished. I feel like without without the color.
0: Yeah, and possibly designed for it. You know there are a lot of these artists that that kind of design for the color. That's and what I'm saying. Like... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, man. Like you know
1: he he knew he was going to do some stuff with the color, but then when you see this stuff, man. You, you, I mean, fuck a tour comes to mind. Like there's the interesting the, legacy the, for the, this kind of work. The influence is deep deep man and, and and of course it transcends comics with the influences like graffiti artists and stuff stuff like that
0: and our final story here is uh, manipulation a magazine for young children <laughs> and uh, I don't know this artist his name name is Roy I shouldn't say his I don't know I think that's a last name um, interesting style you know it's a, it's a kind of again a different line style than what we've seen so far in previous uh, stories here and you know kind of looking at media this time and the influence media has on uh consumers and i like the drawing a lot it's very uh you know kind of almost like kids lit you know like uh, a yeah. picture book art or something at times <laughs> this this this
1: magazine is like a demented highlights magazine rainy day fun for boys and girls <laughs> like hey boys and girls Get some testosterone. Mad killer strikes again. The Jones Kid, isn't that your pal? With their uh, serif lettering font. You know, did Klaus do that? (laughs) Look at that, man. Look at that. Isn't that your pal? It it looks
0: real good. It looks great. And I don't know what these, like, circle motif is here in the background, but it looks like it could be a screen tone or perfect circles.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're off. uh, They're off. Register like they're not parallel with one another very much, man. So
0: ink washes like a wet on wet media. It looks like in some of these.
1: Yeah, more successful in some spots than others. Like this cartoonist would probably learn some things once
0: they see their stuff in print. And uh, by the way, Heavy Metal magazine number one got to have an appearance of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, right?
1: Got to be careful, man. That Air Pirates funnies uh, court case is going on for a long, long time. And that was an era where these big companies could not be embarrassed by suing poor people for two, three million dollars like in the in Napster era when the companies would have to be like, eh,
0: okay, man, I'm sorry. And, uh, and doing their faux ads it feels like a national lampoon touch. Sang cologne yeah i mean do you think that that's a fake ad i think so right the root of all evil like i I don't think their their tagline would be the root of all evil if it was a legit ad right i think all of these are
1: real ads man but it's like you got to get fringe stuff like you you, like it's not you're not getting coca-cola for this shit like in the heavy metals that i have it would be like weird fake legal like oregano marijuana shits that you could smoke I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say that I think it's real.
0: That's interesting. Because, dude, this is
1: newsstand stuff. This is a very expensive proposition.
0: <laughs> the scent of the centuries. <laughs> I don't know, man. It says you can send away for this poster. Yeah, maybe that's maybe the posters, the like a uh, Milton Glaser uh, drawing or something, and Drew back cover that we that we showed in the beginning. So, heavy metal number one, you know, the magazine of a revolution. You know, you mentioned Raw Magazine as we're flipping through here, and it's like there is this short list of of publications that that do change the way. I don't know, the way we think of comics or see comics or what comics can be, and I think heavy metal is right in the middle of that. You mentioned the Cubert School as being a uh, you know, year one early early Cubert School of students, and we've heard them talk about it and the influence this has. Epic Magazine, I think, directly comes out of heavy metal and its success and changes the way copyright is viewed by American cartoonists and, and the idea that you can retain your copyright. You know, there's a lot of new stuff that uh, shows up in April 1977 when this issue drops. Priming the Pump is about a decade's worth of
1: creepy, eerie co- magazines that, that are that are totally priming, like, totally setting things up for there to be a, a world where comic book magazines exist. And Marvel is going to be doing, you know, some, some Conan's and, and, and stuff like at this size. They're going to be doing their own horror magazines to try to bypass their distribution issues that they had by having DC, um, you know, handle all their stuff. Uh, so there's like all this stuff that's like building up to like make this thing possible. But this is just so different than all that other material. But there's an audience for it built in with with that that other that other stuff that was on the stands. This the craft of this just far exceeds. That other that other shit. Like, I think that um, you know, these guys they were never expected to do like a monthly uh, like a monthly thing with this kind of shit. It's like you do your one album once a year, every couple of years. People want it to be rigorous. Uh, you know, getting to know Jeff Darrow. Um, he just describes that like there's a certain amount of like words that have to be on a page in a French comic. Like they're very specific about their comic book interest. You go to France and you got to get your drawing chops ready because they, the fans expect a, a double page spread illustration, dedicas in, in the inside covers of, of the books they buy from you. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a whole symbiotic relationship out there and they, they want good stuff, you know. They, they're bourgeois about their comics.
0: Hey, I think that's had a very positive effect on comics as a whole, and, and you know, has certainly influenced the uh, direction of American comics uh, yeah. over the last several decades. So yeah, not bad. Kudos. Thanks again,
1: Alika. And... You good to go, Jimmy? I am. Alright, K okay, Favors, like, follow, subscribe
0: to the YouTube channel, hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What is out there, Jimmy? Hulk Grand Design Monster 316 is when you can pick that up at your local comic shop, but you need to pre-order it now. I am looking for the kayfabe effect on hulk grand design and that means tell your local comic shop to pre-order hulk grand design monster and do it this week whenever you hit your comic shop. Let's get the gravy train rolling when it comes to the kayfabe effect and keep it
1: going with uh, red room comics man shit if there are a quarter million red room comics out in the universe right now there definitely better be six figures worth of hulk grand designs out there in the universe and I can't wait to see them but Red Room Trigger Warnings the second season of Red Room Comics is going to be coming out uh, in March Uh, every issue completely self-contained Trigger Warnings is the name of this next round of comics you go on Amazon you type in my name you're gonna get my whole bibliography of comics work I appreciate everybody who's been supporting the projects uh, over these past couple of years uh, you could get to our link trees in the description below this video where you can also get to our Patreons like I'm serializing This next round of Red Room Comics there before it hits paper. What else
0: do we have Jim? You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video You can also find Cartoonist Kfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video and I've got I got one more thing here for the Cartoonist Kayfabe community out there post your heavy metal memories under this video Where did you start reading heavy metals? What stories uh, are your all-time favorites from heavy metal because it's a cool magazine and it's been running for you know 45 years now so uh, I'm curious to see like where people dip in and out of this series and what they recommend good call man. Uh, Jimmy give them the marching orders we'll be on our way read more comics